Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Bully, Coward, Victim, the story of Roy Cohn, takes an unflinching look at the life and death of the infamous Roy Cohn, who first gained prominence by prosecuting Julius and Ethel Rosenberg in what became known as the Atomic Spies case. The documentary draws on extensive and newly unearthed archival material to present the most revealing examination of Roy Cohn to date. Director Ivy Mirapol, who also is known for such films as Indian Point and Heir to an Execution, brings a unique perspective as the granddaughter of Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, having spent much of her life feeling repelled and fascinated by the man who prosecuted her grandparents, obtained their convictions, excuse me, obtained their convictions in a federal court and then insisted on their execution. And the film again is called Bully, Coward, Victim, the story of Roy Cohn, and we're joined today by the director, Ivy Maripol. Ivy, welcome back to Film School Radio. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, I think I have an, a, clear understand, a clear understanding just based on the uh, introduction as to why you would be attracted to the, uh, the idea of doing a documentary about Roy Cohn. But was there one particular part of your life or incident or something that sort of propelled you into actually making the documentary? Well, yes. Um, I mean, I think I, I would say that the election of Donald Trump May, made me uh, compelled me to to um, tackle this subject in a film, um, and it because I had toyed with the idea for years. I had thought, what an what an amazing subject, an important subject, a cultural a figure that m- many people don't know about, and and it would be important for them to know about, um, and that my family, you know, has a unique um, connection to, of course. So, but I you know, I was reluctant to, to tackle it because I had done, I had um, dealt with my family's story before I um, went and making Air to an Execution, which came out in 2004. So though I really was interested in Cone, it was, it was the election of Donald Trump that lit the fire that yeah. made me want to, you know, want to do this and, and do it quickly. Well, let's give some historical context as to Roy Cohn. I described it a little bit in our introduction. But I don't think uh, that introduction does justice to just how much of an impact Roy Cohn has had on the body politic of America, not just his actual life, but also kind of the ethos that he helped create in, I'll call it the Republican Party, and, and to some degree the Democratic Party, to whatever reactionary party, whatever, however it fits into our, into our discussion that ethos that he created and how in some ways, and we'll get to Trump, I do want to talk about him, but Trump is, in, uh, President Donald Trump is, is in some ways the embodiment of the, Ro- of the Roy Cohn ethos. Talk to us a little bit about what that means. Well, I mean, for, you know, starting with my grandparents' case, uh, Roy Cohn revealed himself to be uh, ruthless um, and someone who did not respect the law and and who was willing to uh, more than willing to vilify whole groups of people for their progressive politics and to activate the kind of fear um, and anger that could lead that could uh, lead to 
an execution of a young couple who were really who were convicted of conspiracy to commit espionage. They were not there. It was not treason. It was not, you know, so they so I look at Roy Cohn as someone who began his career, someone who would foment that kind of fear and and um, encourage Americans to turn their own fear on and in anger at others um, and destroy and in an incredibly destructive way. And he he spent the rest of his career doing that um, in in so many other ways. I mean, he also, as we see in the film later, I I've, I took great pains to cover the part of his life where he actively fought against gay rights, um, and you know, fighting the gay civil rights bill in New York City, and aligning himself with Cardinal Spellman and the reactionary you know Catholic Church. Um, meanwhile living, you know, fairly openly as a gay man. Um, so, you know, this is, you know, the kind of hypocrisy that kind of underlies, you know, the cone, the cone ethos is something I wanted to draw out as well. But I think, you know, that, that ultimately what we're seeing now today is a similar thing, like, you know, where, you know, people with very valid concerns, you know, Black Lives Matter um, movement and, and their, um, comrades that it's they you know there's trump calling them thugs and calling them terrorists and saying it's antifa and it's you know it's all the you know danger so it's activating it's dividing us to and to what end it's to preserve their power and um you know i i have taki theocopolis is a um, character subject in in the film who talks about cone um, and he says it's very telling and it, it, it bears repeating now that back then, you know, they, he was saying, you know, yeah, we hated communism because it threatened our way of life. We hated communists because it threatened our way of life. I don't even think he realizes what he's saying and that is that, and here's a Greek shipping tycoon, incredibly wealthy international playboy type saying this. And what he's saying is what we all, uh, what progressives know is that he's, of course, they want to protect their way of life. They want to, they want to keep their money and they want to, you know, maintain their power. And that's what I want people to understand from this. It's not, you know, it's like Cohn and Trump. They don't really care about the people they say that they are protecting, you know, the working class, the middle class. It's, it's actually the opposite. <laughs> well, I would extend that part of his story and the way he lived his life and, and the, the ethos that I feel like he created into going back and giving it in the film, you do this, you give it some historic context. Well, the, the Soviet Union, without whom, by the way, let me point out from, I'm an amateur historian here, uh, and that is, we would not have won World War II, we would not have beaten the Nazis had it not been for the fact that the Soviet Union essentially threw 20 million bodies at the Nazi army on the Eastern Front, which allowed us to be able to go in and on our on the other side of the uh, Europe to be able to defeat the Nazis. Yes. So the sacrifice on the part of the people of the Soviet Union, putting aside their political system, is is incalculable in terms of our survival to this day. Right. I just yeah. I don't think we ta ever talk about that. And, and I, I think that's a really important. I I I think it's a really important point because when we um, as a family wonder why now we know that my grandfather was involved in low level espionage and you, then you have to start asking the question, well, why? 
Yeah. And for, you know, did, did they really believe that the Soviet Union was this incredible model that, and, and, you know, I certainly don't believe that they wanted to overthrow, they want, believed in overthrowing the, the United States because they were actually patriots. My, my grandparents, I think, believe, I believe that they're patriots. We do believe that, that it was largely motivated by what you're saying. The Soviet Union was stepping up to, to fight back the Nazis. And as a, you know, a Jewish, um, family and you know impoverished living in new york city they looked at that as you know really important to support right however they could right and in addition to that every other country of any note at the end of world war ii was essentially economically devastated the united states was in no way threatened by any country anywhere in the world in any significant way militarily economically in any other way so what, where I'm trying to go with this part of our conversation is some ideas that were, were proffered by socialism that were seen as a threat to the economic order in the United States. And exactly. that is the basis of why Roy Cohn went so viciously. I mean, I'm not saying there was no threat by the Soviets. And of course, you know, their, their, um, their annexation of Eastern Europe, all these things are definitely legitimate things that need to be addressed and concerns mm-hmm. But the idea that there were any kind of economic or political or military threat to the United States was laughable. Right. So it's, it's the ideas that he proffered, he put forward, that were, were obscuring what was actually happening. But he made that work in a very devastating way in the United States. Exactly. But, and, 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 and it's what Trump has done with immigrants. Right. Uh, it's, exact, it's the same playbook. Right. It's the it's it's to, you know, let's deflect and say, or the real threat or all these people come. We got to build a wall. We got to cage people. We got because the threat is not from the fact that we're stripping, you know, public education or we're, you know, you know, shredding safety nets for people or we're, you know, are becoming more and more unequal and more people are amassing more wealth at the expense of others. None of that. That's all. Yeah. The the idea of finding an enemy that we can, that they can focus on. I mean, we did it after nine 11, you know, and that's it. And it continues. And exactly. And so much of this film and so much of uh, the life of Roy Cohn is about this. And it's also, excuse me, you touched on it earlier and that is he was a gay man. Yeah. And there's almost something Veer Mark Republic about the fact that he, in certain circles, he could be completely sort of safe yes. in, in the, within the wealthy and powerful. He could do and be whoever he wanted to be. Mm-hmm. But to the public face, to the political face, to the socially uh, um, facing face, he was vicious and, and, and horrible and racist. I, what, all the things, all of the yeah. things, and had no problem with it. Nor did the people who knew who he was have any problem supporting him in that endeavor. Yeah. And that's, I, found, I found that very surprising. One of the, you know, just, just the extent, I mean, his circle was so wide and vast and varied, you know, I mean, he's, you know, he's got Andy Warhol and he's got, you know, <laughs> um, but then he's also, um, you know, Rupert Murdoch. And <laughs> I mean, I can't think of another major figure who had such a, had such a varied group of friends and, and yeah, they all, accepted um somehow you know that he you know i think they felt empowered by him um i don't know i mean it was a it's a he's he 
he was really, he was very good at um, ha- creating all these allies and, and having people around him who, who did protect him. I mean, he, and then, you know, to learn that he was spending time in Provincetown and became good friends with Norman Mailer and people like that who are, you know, progressive Democrats. You know, I think, I think part of it was that he, uh, you know, from what I understand, he was a lot of fun to be with is what people to say, you know, that it's like, but I, I kept saying, well, but, but you knew who he was. (laughs) (laughs) So um, he was so slippery, you know, he was, he'd always say, you know, I'm a lifelong Democrat. And he was, he was raised a Democrat from a big Democrat family in New York. And, but yet he, he was a major figure in the Republican party. He always wanted to have it both ways. Right. You know, I, I think the, the word uh, that uh, we can kind of, it comes down to is power. Yes. Cohn understood power. He understood the, the needs of the powerful to be able to protect their interests. And he was willing to do it. He was willing to do the dirty work. And I, I think, I mean, and it's in the film, by the way, we're, we're speaking with the director of the new documentary from Bully, Coward, Victim, the Roy Cohn story, and that's Ivy Maripol. And that is that um, he, was, he was a fixer. He was, he was Michael Cohen in some ways um, to Donald Trump. Although Trump probably wouldn't agree with that. He wanted Roy Cohen. He was friends with the Cohen. Cohen he, he learned from Cohen yes. to never apologize, never ever double down when somebody calls you a liar. All these things that Cohen you see in this film that, that Cohen lived by, we see it there. And right. um, yeah, so... I, I just, I just, I'm so, so grateful for this because this comes along at, a, at a, a, an important time. And I think that Trump is vulnerable right now. And I think that the sort of the Trump fatigue factor is finally take, beginning to take hold. More people see where he came from, how he came about. It's about Roy Cohn. I don't mean to say this is a film about Donald Trump, but. <laughs> no, but, but, but I think you're, but you're right. I mean, you know, and, and we walked that same line that you're, that you're talking about now. It is a film about Roy Cohn, but what, but um, why it's an important film now is because of Donald Trump. And, and like I said at the beginning, I mean, I, if not for Donald Trump's election, I don't know if I would have made this film. Um, because I, even though I certainly was interested in exploring all aspects of, all these other aspects of Cohn's life, it was to also draw out how, how did we get here? You know, how and who, and, and, and without putting too, you know, fine a point on it, as we go through the story of Cohn, I, what I hope audiences do is along the way recognize, aha, that sounds like Trump. That sounds like Trump. You know, we don't have to say it. We don't have to like, you know, it, it's, you know, whether it's Peter Manso going through all the bills uh, that that Cohn wouldn't didn't pay just, you know, you know, he just lived with impunity. I mean, this is it's like, it's like Donald Trump, too. It's just like such, um, you know, contempt for people and such, you know, disregard. And <laughs> I mean, you know, whether it's, you know, from the small, you know, elements of his life to the larger. I just think that Cohn tells us so much about about trump yeah um, whenever whenever the subject of trump comes up and i hear people in media talk about 
Will he, he grow into the office when he first came into office? Will he change? Will the office change who he is, how he, how he, he, he operates? And I was, used to say, you know, <clears throat> look, this has worked for him. There is no godly reason in the world why Donald Trump would change. He went from a failed casino owner, well, before that, his father gave him, we now know, up to $400 million in, in today's money to be a failed real estate person. And then, he, but it's all worked for him. Where has he, where has this, where has life ever taught him anything but what Roy Cohen told him? So why in the world would he change? He's president and he failed upward. Yeah. Always, always, always. And so these things work for him. Why would he change? And I think we see Roy Cohn really essentially never changed until the day he passed, right? Is it Absolutely. I mean, yeah. And he got away with so much also. I mean, it was incredible. He, he openly said, I want to die owing the IRS money. Okay. Who said, I mean, he said it in Parade Magazine. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of thing that's just, you, it boggles the mind and you think you look back at him like how did he get away with it how did he how did he squirrel out of you know like three indictments you know they thought he was done in the 60s and then he rises again and then he's there he is at studio 54 and you know how does he you know how you know then his client you know studio 54 gets closed down and his clients get busted and you know whatever it is then he's representing all these mobsters you know who get sent away but and he's the lawyer for the mob but he's not just the lawyer for mob he's working with them yeah um i mean every step of the way and then even yeah even when he's you know really pushing the limits of being closeted i mean i i describe him as the most openly gay closeted man that you can imagine because he was so flagrant about it in some ways i mean so that you know someone like cindy adams would say well of course we all knew we all knew the boyfriends i mean there he, he when he brings his lover peter fraser to the reagan white house and you see him in the receiving line right. introducing his boyfriend right to the reagans you know it's just one of these things that makes you realize how incredible what what it how incredible is that he would pull this off right well it's so much wreckage in his life he almost was undone very early on when he went on that tour of the american libraries overseas he was almost undone there and he brought down joe mccarthy in in many ways there's so much wreckage in his life i keep coming back to this idea though power 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 he did what it what power asked him to do and and he did it he did it with abandon he yeah. did whatever he needed to. And that's, I think, the secret for me, watching your film reinforces that notion. He was willing to do whatever was asked of him. And I think he talks about that. It's a, it's sort of, we hear him talk about it in, in yes. very real terms. Oh, you hear we have incredible audio um, that had never been used before or heard before publicly um, from interviews that uh, journalist Peter Manso, who appears in the film as well, had from a, a lengthy interview he did with with Cohn for Playboy magazine. And so, yeah, you hear Cohn in his own words saying, you know, I don't, you know, you don't back down. Exactly. <laughs> well, this is a, this is such a wonderful documentary. I'm so glad it's going to be premiering on HBO on, um, it'll be Thursday, June 18th. And uh, this comes uh, as a painful anniversary in your life. Um, the execution of your grandparents, uh, Julius and Ethel Rosenberg fitting in some ways uh, and uh, just one last thing one last quick question for you what 
have you, what is there something about making this film was that was either cathartic or that some something about it that really will resonate with you moving forward in your life? You know, I um yeah, you mentioned June nineteenth. Uh, well, so June eighteenth it'll premiere, and June nineteenth is the anniversary of of my grandparents' execution. Um, I feel like I you know I this was a way that I could contribute to a deeper understanding of how we got here. It's, it's gratifying because I, I believe in exposure, yeah, exposing someone, but also doing it in a way that will make people think about the fact that having to live in the closet, that the way, the way that Cohen had to live twisted him. I think, you know, be, made him become, you know, something, I mean, maybe he did, maybe, maybe he would have always been that way. I mean, I'm not a psychologist. I don't, you know, but I'm just saying, I think I, by raising these issues, the questions of, you know, someone who lives like, you know, in such a self-loathing way, there are a lot of people out there who, who, who live like that and are, and are in positions of power and are not being held accountable. The way that uh, Cohn and Trump characterize their enemies is, is, is only a tool to be used against us. And we have to, if we recognize it, we can combat it and we don't have, you know, so anyway, sorry, I'm rambling. No, now. <laughs> no, no, that, no, I think you're absolutely spot on. I think that's exactly right. Well, I want to thank you, Ivy Maripol, for spending some time with us again here on Film School Radio. The film, again, is Bully, Coward, Victim, The Story of Roy Cohn. Thank you so very much, Ivy. Take care. Thank you, Mike. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.